perhaps, knowing that we were going to be traveling last Thursday and Friday, knowing that we were probably going to be busy yesterday and today and maybe especially even tomorrow, we decided to put our Christmas tree up last Wednesday. Wednesday had just passed. And so I went and got the Christmas tree down and got all the decorations ready. And all the Fletcherments, they know their role. They know what they're supposed to do. And so we're getting everything set up. The tree goes up. The lights go around. The ornaments go up. And then we're getting through all the ornaments again, and we realized we don't have a tree popper. You see, with the move, we got rid of a bunch of stuff, and I think we looked at that Christmas star we had before we moved. We said, you know what? Time for you to go. You've done your job, and we need to move on. And we thought in our mind, well, when we get to Shiner, we'll have time, and we'll go buy a new one. Well, y'all, Christmas is only two days away. You know that, right? And we still don't have anything on the tree. No little star, no pretty little angel. And I got to tell you, the first thing that went through my mind when I realized that was, oh, no. See, some of these people already think I hate Christmas. Or they think I hate away in the manger. And I think hate's a strong word, but anyway. And then we've invited all of them to come to our house next weekend. We've given the invitation to all of Shiner to come to the house and they're going to walk through our door, they're going to see our Christmas tree, and it doesn't have a beautiful Christmas angel or a Christmas star on top, what are they going to think about me then? But I remembered something. I remembered something that made me feel a lot better. I remembered that Jesus is the reason for the season. Then I remembered that the season is Christmas. Jesus is not the reason for, I don't know, snow. Jesus is not the reason for lights. Jesus is not the reason for anything else other than what we begin tomorrow night. The season of Christmas begins on Christmas Eve, right? Y'all with me? Now, I know that. Some of you, hopefully all of you know that. Or anybody else like Walmart? Because you know what's going to happen? See, Christmas season started for them right after Thanksgiving, right? The day after. They were getting us ready, weren't they? So you know what's going to happen now? You all are going to come to our house next weekend. And I'm going to have me a nice, pretty star angel. Haven't quite decided yet. And I'm going to have paid 90% off for it. (laughs) Because I'm going to go into Walmart or one of those stores... And Christmas for them has going to be long forgotten. They're already going to have their mind on Groundhog's Day or something. And I'm going to sweep in there and I'm going to get the best tree ornament you've ever seen in your life. You just watch. You just watch. Christmas was saved. Now, why why does that matter? What does that mean? I think sometimes we can chase after an image that we have, or we can chase after an image that's been given to us of what Christmas is supposed to look like. Or an image of what Christmas is supposed to sound like, feel like, maybe even smell like. And we can chase after that image, 
and chase after that image and do every can, everything we can to fit everything we do into that image to the effect that when things don't fit into that image, Christmas is ruined. You ever talk to someone after the Christmas holiday and say, oh, well, how was Christmas? And I'm like, well, I didn't get to go anywhere. And, you know, the lights went off in the tree. I couldn't find which one of those was out, and they all went out. It was horrible. It just messed up Christmas for me. And Christmas was messed up because of something like that. See, we chase an image, and if we don't fit that image, things don't work out. So it's good for us, I think, to sometimes go back to the original story and look at what the original story shows us. And if we look at the original Christmas story, the entirety, entire Christmas story, what we realize is that there was nothing perfect going on for any of those people. Because Christmas story isn't just Jesus being born in the manger. It goes back a little bit further. You've got to remember Zechariah, right? Oh man, Zechariah gets visited by the angel. Zechariah says, huh, what do you mean, angel? What are you talking about? You know what the angel says? Now you can't talk for nine months. That's not fair. Now, I know, you know, we're talking about family get-togethers, and maybe depending on which family member it is, that might be okay. But this isn't good for Zechariah. He's a priest. I mean, you don't want your priest to not be able to talk, right? You don't want your preacher to have his mouth shut for nine months, do you? Easy. It's Christmas. So things weren't perfect for him. There's his wife, Elizabeth. Now, and I've been told that there are plenty of good reasons why older people don't have children. But here she is, old Elizabeth, being pregnant for the very first time. I'm sure there's a lot of joy in her heart because she recognizes something, especially later on, she recognizes that God is doing something. But I also got to think that maybe in her mind she's thinking, oh, How am I going to do this? I can't even get up in the morning sometimes. But there she is. Mary and Joseph. They're not married. They're engaged. And then Joseph finds out, hey, <laughs> that girl you're with, she's going to have a baby. And it's not yours, brother. Hmm. Now, for Joseph, that probably means a lot of shame. Disappointment, surely. For Mary, as a young girl, not married, having a baby, quite possibly this means literal death for her. How's that for Merry Christmas? So you look at that original Christmas story and things weren't all Norman Rockwell, were they? Things weren't all tidy. Things surely were not perfect. But something about that story, I think, takes a turn for us. Before we get to young Jesus being born in the stable, there's an important part of that story that I think in our minds and hopefully in our faith kind of turns us a little bit. And it's when Mary visits Elizabeth. Now, you can decide why you think Mary decided to... to, uh, visit Elizabeth. Maybe she needed confirmation. Maybe she wanted somebody to understand her. Maybe she was sure and she just wanted to share it with Elizabeth. That's up for you to decide. We can talk about that. 
But she, without haste, she goes and she meets her family member, Elizabeth. And we don't even know what she said to Elizabeth, but all she did was she, she got there and Elizabeth rejoices. Right? The baby flips out. This old woman who's pregnant for the first time feels this baby just turn. It's like, <gasps> something's going on. Some of us, I think, as families, we have stories about when that kick came at the right time, right? Dad's putting their ear against the belly and feeling it kick. And we, we think about how exciting that is and how meaningful that is and even sometimes how funny. And here you have old Elizabeth with her young family member comes in rejoicing and feeling that baby do the same thing. And as they're both there together, I think they're there for each other. Maybe in some way, Mary, Elizabeth is being there for Mary, maybe giving her a confirmation or encouragement. And at the same time, Mary's doing the same thing for Elizabeth. Luke tells us so, that Mary tended to Elizabeth. And I'm sure Elizabeth did the same thing for her in her pregnancy. But they're there for each other. And in that meeting, I think you and I see what could be the most significant parts of the Christmas story. That if we miss what happens in their meeting, what comes out of their conversation, we miss what Christmas reminds us of and teaches us. You see, because in their meeting, as Mary comes in and Elizabeth, she's full of, full of the Holy Spirit, she's joyful, she has all this to say, and Mary responds. We didn't read that, we did at the beginning, but Mary's song of praise and response. In those conversations, we are reminded of these Four things. We are reminded of the hope of God. We are reminded that God has said something would happen, and it's about to happen. We are reminded that the peace of God turns everything around. And we are remi- reminded that God's word, God's promises, God's action brings us joy and that all of this is given because of the love that God has for every single one of us. My friends, the reality is we can't wrap that up and put it under the tree. It's something that we get here. It's something that we understand and make a part of who we are. It's a gift, oh yes, but it's a gift that's given to us as faith, given to us in mercy. And so the question becomes then, how do I get that? I think in part we realize that hope is a little more than you know, wishful thinking. Hope is a little more than just kind of wanting good things to happen. Hope is actually about trust. A trust that God is working. That God is here. And I think it's about recognizing that our lives are broken. There are so many areas of who we are. So many points in our character. So many things that we do. So many ways that we think on and on and on that are broken. That are not of God. That don't even please us. So they surely can't please God. And that God comes to bring peace wholeness to those areas of brokenness. 
we find those things that are weighing us down. We find those circumstances. We may even find those people. We may even find those things that are just eating at us. And we kind of have to decide, no. Because joy is mine. Joy has been given to me. Because I am a child of God, I am loved by God. And if I am loved by God, these are my things to have. Because these are the gifts that were given to all of us. Now friends, I don't know how you'll celebrate Christmas. Maybe you'll have family get together. Maybe it's in a quiet affair by yourself. Hopefully it includes worship. But if we can't take away those things from what we do, we're missing Christmas. Now I'm going to tell you a truth that some of you aren't going to believe. Some of you are going to say, well, John, that's, that's just too pie in the sky. That's just too, uh, that's just too uh, gullible for you to say. But it is impossible to mess up Christmas. Because these are gifts from God. And I don't care if the ham gets burnt. I don't care if cousin so-and-so does show up. I don't care if the tree doesn't have a topper. I don't care if they don't show your favorite Christmas program or we don't get to sing your favorite Christmas hymn. Christmas can never be messed up because Christmas is about these gifts given to us. And as long as those are ours, it's always, always a Merry Christmas. So we need to pray because quite often we let other things get in the way of us celebrating the gifts that God has given to us for Christmas. So let's ask God now to free free our mind, free our expectations, free even our traditions so that we can receive these gifts that God has so graciously offered to us. Oh, loving God, we are here because you have called us here. You know each one of us by name and you know oh so well how these gifts from you fit our lives every day. So first, God, we ask for forgiveness, forgiveness for those times that we have sought after our own gifts or our own ideas and been unwilling to be content with what you give us. We ask now, God, that as you free us, that we would be able to receive the hope that comes from you, that our lives could receive the peace that is yours to give, we could understand the joy that no one can take from us and the love that you give give to us in so many ways. God, make today be a day where we can look back and realize that you have loved us beyond any measure. And may that love bring us the best of Christmases. In Jesus' name.